0: word uh, we're in a study in the book of judges and we've been looking at these um, different leaders that God raised up in a period of time that was in Israel's history a period of time of about 400 years and uh, it, during that time Israel was in this cycle of uh, what we call a spiritual cycle that involved going away from God because you remember coming out of the book of Joshua, Um, You have the nation pledging to serve the Lord and to make sure their households and the people in there serve the Lord. But then just a generation later, people were forgetting God and going right back into serving sin and idolatry. And in doing so, it brought them into a place of enslavement. And they repented, called out on God to help them. He would raise up a leader there would be some reform going on people would follow the Lord for sometimes a whole generation or sometimes more sometimes less and then they would go back into that cycle and as I've come through this book and we're not through it by any means yet we're in this study on on Samson and there's several more messages dealing with his life but I I sometimes and I have to admit I I sometimes find myself kind of in the text looking at that because in my own spiritual journey I have found times where I I, I wander away. And I'm thankful in God's goodness and his grace, his mercy. He calls us to repent and to go back and to, to draw into a closer. Sometimes those cycles can be very obvious. Sometimes they are not. Sometimes we can put on a good face and everybody thinks we're doing well spiritually. I, I imagine in Samson's day and in the days of Israel in that time, there, was, there were many people that went about their sort of religious duties and they did that. But then eventually the con was up and they could not do that anymore and would end up back in, um, in sin, open sin. And it would cause uh, certainly the enemy to come in because God said he would do that he would bring them to provoke them to judge them and to to bring them back to himself and sometimes we won't do that unless he makes the circumstances around us or allows those circumstances to happen to point us that way or to give us sort of a proverbial kick in the in the pants right to get us moving again and and sometimes it hurts doesn't it and I'm, there were times in the lands, in Israel's time in history, that that happened. Um, so we come to the book of Judges. Last week we were looking at Samson. And remember, he was, he's one of these guys that I think is sort of a mystery in the, in the sense that he, in many ways, was the man of the hour. God chose him. God used him. In spite of who Samson was, he was someone who never really controlled himself well. And allowed the Lord to control him personally from within. He was known as a strong man. Most people know of Samson in the Bible. And they would tell you the story maybe of Samson and Delilah. Or they would tell you the story of, of his superhuman strength. And, and again he, he, his strength came from God. And he was a man that would have been able to um, do mighty feats. He certainly would have made the news if he was around today. Uh, people would be talking about Samson. But hopefully and what was more important was that people would talk about the God of Samson and that's really what God wanted about Samson even from his his conception on he was to be dedicated and he was to be separated onto God as remember the Nazarite vow and his parents were told that Um, he appears to have been raised in a family that knew the Lord and they uh, honored the Lord Um, but they never really got a hold of Samson either and we learned about that last week when Samson is um, goes down or sees a woman of the Philistines and he was commanded not to take the women of the uh, Philistines as a wife Um, and he wants her and he wants to set up a wedding and he goes back to his father and he says "I, I want that woman and and the father tries to warn him but then you know goes right back into allowing it, and that's where we kind of pick it up today, where and remember Samson last week, we, we talked about the fact that he occasionally would well he not occasionally, habitually, would do something that would violate his own vow as a Nazarite, uh, for instance, not touching a dead animal or a dead body. That was part of the vows that they were to take in a, a picture of uncleanness. And what does he do? He sees a lion, or a lion comes at him. He kills the lion. Later on, as he's going back through, he finds out in the carcass of that lion, bees have made a honeycomb, and there's honey in the, in the carcass of a lion. And, and I don't know why, but in his mind, he thinks that's a good thing. And he goes and he gathers honey out of that dead animal and brings it. And not only does he eat it, but also his, his father and mother... Are given it they don't know where it came from and they too have become in in picture form unclean because they have partaken of something that came out of a dead body and as I connected last week hopefully there's a spiritual sense where God does not want his people dabbling with the world of death in the sense of like we live in the light we are supposed to be alive unto God not dead unto sin and that's the picture that's seen in that and and Samson knew better And yet he was constantly sort of doing things like that that would violate his vow and his separation in a world that is easily, well, a world that even now, right? We know that even more so, I think, is a world that is filled with lots of unclean things and a lot of things that can violate our testimony before God and before others. Well, we pick it up today. And we pick it up with this idea of the, or the history of the wedding that takes place. And we come to Judges 14, and it says in verse 10, So his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there for young men used to do so. And it happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. Then Samson said to them, Let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothing. And they said to him, Pose your riddle, that we may hear it. And so he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days they could not explain the riddle. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband, that he may explain the riddle to us, or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And he said to her, Look, I have not explained it to my father or my mother, so should I explain it to you? Now she had wept on him the seven days while their feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day that he told her, because she pressed him so much. And then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. And so the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed thirty of their men, took their apparel, and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. Father, we are grateful for the Word of God, and as we open it this morning, we pray you'd open it to our hearts and minds and work your work in our life, Lord. Help us to, to follow you in obedience and truly give us these words of life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The famous song that well, was made famous by Kenny Rogers and, of course, Don Schlitz was the writer of it, was the song, The Gambler, right? And I know you're going to have that song stuck in your head if you've heard it. But there's a, a verse in that says, Every gambler knows that the secret of to surviving is knowing what to throw away knowing what to keep. Because every hand's a winner and every hand's a loser. And the best that you can hope for is to die in your sleep. And then it says, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, know when to run. You never count your money when sitting at the table. There'll be time enough for counting when the dealing's done. And that song, I, it's been a long time since I've heard it, but I, I remember it You know, on the radio way back in probably dating myself now in the 70s, late 70s when that came out, and then in the 80s and all that, and it's still probably popular today. Uh, but in, in, in a sad sense, it, it, it is a song really that Samson could have used as his sort of life song because he was a gambler. Everything Samson did was a risk that he would like to take, and I think he was probably one of those sort of adrenaline junkies. He liked to have things make his heart go pitter-patter, and often it would turn him into you know, either a raging man in that way, and we see that here, or someone who would violate his vow that he had given before God. And he, he lost his testimony over and over again. And I think in regard to Samson, he's sort of a mystery in the sense that we see where God uses him. We see that he's numbered in the household of faith in in the New Testament, Hebrews 11. So overall, he was a man of faith, but he was a man that so often would risk it and then in turn lose it. He was a gambler in that sense. And I would say that the when that song says, because every hand's a winner and every hand's a loser. You know, you can't always control the hand that has been dealt to you in life. That that is true. Things come your way that you have no control over. You don't have a control over what family you were born into, okay? You don't have control sometimes over bad things that come in your life. You don't have that. But you have an opportunity in those times and the good things too by the way. And you don't have control over all those things. And when you, when those things come, you have a choice of what to do and what not to do. And over and over again, Samson risked his whole life on those choices. And in the end, we'll find out later, he would lose his life and yet gain something also in the loss of his life. And and we'll see some of that. Um, but we see a little bit about Samson's behavior in and, and doing that and i 'm reminded through Samson, and as this has been the, the theme as we 've now at the third message now on Samson, is that God calls his people to a higher call and a different call in first peter peter 's writing here in the early um, first or in the later part of the first century when he writes to scattered believers across the Roman Empire. And he writes and he says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. And I might echo that today. That's, that's your mind, okay? You need to gird up your mind because what's in your mind eventually comes out, doesn't it? And the way we think is often how we act and what we do. And, and in a world that is really filled with lots of scary things and evil things and, and hurtful things, and they were experiencing that, you need to wake up in the morning and say, Help strengthen my mind. And he says that. Be sober. That's true. Be sober. We should not be controlled by anything other than the Holy Spirit and that way. And being sober in the sense that there's so many ways we can dull ourselves to the realities around us. And I'm not just talking about using intoxicants or some other thing. But there are just many ways we can dull ourselves to the greater realities. And he says to Christians, be sober. Uh, Rest your hope we have a world and a christian world too that is not resting in christ may you rest in samson is is in a in this stage of his life one of these guys that over and over and over again we find he's a very smart man i mean he's posing riddles he's doing that but his mind was not upon the affections of god his mind was not we we learned he was in the vineyard last week and that's where all this was devised and then today we'll learn he's at a feast and that feast was not just a sober feast. And the rest of your hope fully, uh, fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We should be hopeful and expectant. Living for another world ultimately. Not, not so heavenly minded that you're not no earthly good. You've heard that. Right? Lots of people like that. We, we are here. We are part of the world. But we are not to be in the world. Or we are in the world but not of the world. In other words, my destination is a different world, a better world, a world without sin, a world that will be brought at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he says, as obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. That's given to believers in this side of, of grace in the New Testament, all of that, he says we're to walk holy. And why? Because God is. And you're to reflect who He is. And I think there's really something to that. There are many verses that deal with that in the in the scriptures. We're told in the Corinthians, they were told to come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. And that church was dealing with a lot of unclean things going on in its in its congregation and among its people. And Paul writes them a letter that was pretty harsh, but also a letter of great love as a as a father to his children would instruct them to repent and come back. And the follow-up in this Second Corinthians is a letter that indicates that many of them did do that. They did get right with God and clean up. But he reminds them there as well. And we find that we aren't just to put off things, because Lots of things, people are good about doing that, right? I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I won't go there, and I don't, you know. And I often say, well, what, what do you do, right? Is there anything positive in your, in your world? Well, if you put off the works of unrighteousness, Christ doesn't leave you naked, but he wants you to put on him the righteousness of Christ. In 1 Peter 3.8, he says, finally, this is wrapping it up, all of you be of one mind. That's Unity. Unity is huge. Having compassion for one another. That's a big one. Are you compassionate among the brethren, the people of God? Love as brothers. Be tender hearted. Be courteous. Boy, in a world where no one seems to be courteous anymore. I shouldn't say it like that. There's lots of courteous people. But when they're courteous, it stands out because so many aren't. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. See the two sides: of that turn away and do. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And the word of God testifies to that. History testifies to that. And I would just say that is, that is what the Lord is like. He is um, righteous and altogether lovely, and he will recompense evil. He's the one that does that. Um, and I, I think of that in the context of what's going on today in Israel and the war that has broken out in the last over now a week. And um, I do believe that there are certainly just wars and times where people need to, to defend their nations and their peoples and all of those. And I, I would say this is very one-sided in regard to that, uh, and, and I mean that in a good way, because I think Israel needs to take a, a firm, defensive and offensive stand to put down terrorism in their land. And I think that's a moral clarity that needs to be expressed from pulpits and from politicians and from others, and I think many are. But I also realize this, in the midst of that, God ultimately has his recompense. And you cannot go up against the Jewish people and not be uh, going up really against God in many ways. It doesn't mean that the Jewish people in in All their ways are following the Lord today. I'm not trying to make that equivocation because the Apostle Paul, who was Jewish, said the same thing. He prayed that, oh, you know, that his brothers, his brethren, uh, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, would be saved. He said that, and I am praying to that right now. It's my first thing I pray for when I'm in regard to Israel is that many would come to saving faith in Messiah in Christ. But God deliver them also from evil. And may you do that and provoke them in these days to deeper things than just the immediate. I don't want to get too far off on that. But God hears our prayers and he ultimately is the one who is, um, his eyes are on the righteous, his eyes are also on those who do evil. And don't forget that no one one will ever get away with any evil act or sin. God will have his way. Well, we move on here because we talked about this lifestyle, more or less, of Samson. And we see that sort of uh, show itself here in this text. Because we find, uh, if you want to outline here, a careless relationship that begins. Now this careless relationship, first and foremost, begins with Samson's personal relationship with his Lord he's quite careless with his spiritual walk he's careless in the way he goes about his daily routines he's careless in where he goes he's careless in how he acts and that has been a pattern in his life established already up to this point point. and then we find in this case a careless relationship that he enters into with a woman that he was not supposed to marry and he sets in motion a marriage so his father went down to the woman. And Samson gave a feast, and there, it says, for young men used to do so, and it happened when they saw him, that they brought 30 companions to be with him. And you see here this carelessness in the sense that Samson goes down, and we don't know the time frame of when he first saw this woman, and then he went back and told his father, uh, and mother and how when the wedding took place but it seems to be in fairly rapid succession I mean obviously there was time enough to kill uh, a lion and then have bees put a lot of honey into the lion, so you know it takes a while a little bit anyways maybe a, a month or so uh, maybe less depending on when it was and and we don't know for sure how long it took and yet there Samson just goes down into this it wasn't like hold on and wait when Samson saw something he just did it Sometimes without thinking of all the consequences or, or ignoring the consequences if he knew better. And it says here, he goes down to and gave a feast. Now, in, um, in the text there, the word feast, it means a drunken feast. It has an idea of something that uh, would involve uh, wine and drinking. And that's the word that is used there in the Hebrew And so this wasn't just a meal together, it was a grand, you know, uh, bash, I guess would be the best word, and it was associated with this wedding. And that doesn't really jive with all the weddings that, the you know, refer to in scripture by any means, and it was most likely what people were used to. And I could say that is an occasion where a lot of times people go to weddings, and if they're going to drink, they drink there. Uh, It doesn't mean it's right, Okay. And this message isn't about the evils of drinking or those kind of things, but we see it again in Samson's life. He was not supposed to, as a Nazarite, even have grape juice, unfermented, uh, let alone wine. That was part of the vow of a Nazarite. And because God wanted them not to be controlled by anything else, be sober, right? And yet Samson sees well, sees this woman, goes down, and he's just very careless about everything that he does and I would say that by the way, weddings, and I don't see that this is a type necessarily in the wedding of samson of a, a wedding you know a, a, a the right wedding, I guess I would say, but we do see weddings in scripture as a type of a relationship that God has with his people. Um, you see that metaphor used. Of Israel in the Old Testament on occasion in the New Testament distinct to the church and of in the book of Ephesians it, it makes that connection and I believe that also and that's a spiritual union where um, a wedding is is a is a physical union of a man and a woman coming together in as a one flesh union so there is a spiritual union that God has with his people and We see Samson just very carelessly going about that because, as a Jew, he was told not to take a Gentile wife. All right? Now, there were provisions for Gentile women to become Jews, and we see that in the book of Ruth, for example. She was a Moabite woman, she didn't have any place in Israel, and yet she's grafted in. How? By grace, because she believed in the God of Israel. Um, Anyways, this woman, there's no indication she went that route. And actually we see it contrary to that in her actions. Nevertheless, in scripture we see the promise of a wedding. That is the wedding of Christ. And if you want a perfect wedding and a perfect marriage, you'll only find it in Christ. But yet we are to be um, be showing forth that kind of a relationship in earthly relationships that it might draw people to him. Jesus said in John chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he went on to say this. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And you say, well, that's interesting. What would that be about? And in the context of the Jewish people that were there, the disciples, they would have known immediately what Jesus was talking about. Because you see, a bridegroom normally would uh, propose to... His future wife become betrothed to her, and he would say, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he would go, and he would do that. He would prepare a place to live, prepare other ways, and then at the time of his choosing, he would come back. Very different than the way we do it today, right? We kind of set dates, and it all falls on the bride to do all that stuff, it seems like so often It shouldn't, but a lot of times it does. And in the ancient customs, and in many customs today even, um, it's still the groom that does most of that, and is really responsible for having a wedding and everything. Um, So, you know, that's just, again, a way that was done in those days. We find in Ephesians that Jesus makes this link, and through Paul, the apostle, uh, that the church... Uh, is like um, we are in our earthly relationships to show forth Christ in our relationships. We're talking about our marriage relationships. And in the context of submission, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes here, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Then he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And for the husband is head of the wife and also as is also Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. So this is definitely to the church he's, he's referring to. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. There, there's this issue of roles and it's not an equality thing, it's a role thing is really what it is. The man was responsible for the, the really... Um, being a steward of his household and he's the one that's responsible of that and we are to have those roles and then it goes on but this is where men are off the hook he says husbands love your wives just as christ also loved the church and gave himself for her if men did that imagine what marriages would be like you know and i hope many of you are doing that men but but men ought to be giving of themselves To that one you've said I do to. And you've said till death do us part. And Why? Because it's important not only for her. And for you. And for your family. But also it's a picture of the gospel. That's what Paul says. That he might sanctify and cleanse her. With the washing of the water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she should be holy and without blemish. And so Paul turns that earthly relationship, and the reason it's important to get those things right and to do right in them, because they picture for us a better relationship in Christ. A perfect union. A lot more could be said about that, but we find with Samson he was quite careless about that. He really didn't care whether or not He married a Gentile woman, or how that went. He didn't even really invite anybody except his parents, apparently. Maybe not even them, I don't know. Um, And we have his bride having to find, from her people anyways, 30 people that would show up and even find a best man for him. Samson didn't give much thought about this whole thing. And I would just say that sometimes people are like that, aren't they? Well, we see a little bit about Samson's... um, Uh, Samson's careless relationship there and the second thing we see is his what I call his wager okay because um, and and I might put this just before I jump to that Samson gave a feast there for young men used to do to do so and there's some tradition in this wedding apparently because it says for young men used to do so in other words they had this drunken wedding feast that lasted seven days and I'm getting again that from the Hebrew word that's used for feast it's different than other usages of the word feast which sometimes mean appointed occasions and we find um, that going on and why was it going on because that's what people do and I would just say be careful you don't just jump in to what sometimes tradition tells you to do or to jump in and do what everybody else is doing because it may indeed be contrary to what God wants anyways back to this we see a careless relationship and then secondly we see a risky wager Samson's one of these guys that he he um, I think he probably is emblematic of the ancient world in general because we see hints of this throughout scripture where people like to tell riddles or difficult things um Solomon was like that and Queen of Sheba Queen Sheba came and she wanted to hear the difficult sayings of Solomon. And that was probably riddles that he would put forth and things. And because Solomon was so smart, people would come to see his wisdom. And yet we have like the book of Proverbs that Solomon wrote, which are so simple, right? And and so he could write simple things and also speak difficult things. And we find Samson probably numbered himself like that kind of man. I'm going to go down there, I'm going to have them just marvel at my great depth of wisdom and I'm going to tell them riddles. And so he does that. Look what it says. Samson said to them, let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. Now, um, and then he says, but if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, pose your riddle that we may hear it. And there's this sort of wager attached to this solving of a riddle. Now, I have nothing against riddles. Like there's some good ones out there. You know, we all kind of grew up with those little questions and stuff. There's some funny ones. Uh, Came across a few. It's uh, like this one, for instance. Why did Snap, Crackle, and Pop get scared? Because they heard there was a serial killer a loose what has wheels and flies but it is, is not an aircraft a garbage truck alright you'll get that later I know why didn't the sailor finish the alphabet because he got lost at sea uh, alright I'll, I'll stop there because it's just I can see the corporate groan Oh. But you guys, you kids, you go home, tell people that, you know, like somewhere, you know, tell your friends that, they'll laugh, probably, probably not, but anyways. Uh, but there's like riddles, we all like those kind of things, because it, it makes our mind get in gear and do that, and Samson tells this really difficult riddle, and, and as I was studying this, it's very likely too in the Philistine language, the word for lion was the same in the book, in the, in the Hebrew language, as honey, so he's doing a play on words, on words that are different languages even, in, in when he's telling them this riddle. And he's using a word that is so obvious that they won't solve it. So Samson's really, you know, he's thinking about this stuff in two languages, maybe. I don't know. I'll, I'll ask him maybe someday. But anyways, uh, those kind of things. And anyways, he poses this riddle and he says, if you guys guess it within the seven days of the feast, uh, I'll give you 30 changes of, of uh, clothing um, and 30 linen garments. in that. And by the way, that was a very expensive wager. It was highly unlikely that people had many changes of clothes in that day. Most of the time, whatever they had on, and then sometimes a formal outer coat of some sort that was a little bit more appropriate for not just working in the field. And, and that was about it. And when you're talking like 30 changes of clothes, that was a big wager. And this, the linen that is used was probably something that was um, not just normal you know, clothes or textile. It was something that was definitely of a value to it. And then he says, if you, if you can solve it, I'll give that to you. And there he is. He's waging and it's risky because <coughs> there's no indication that Samson had that money. Matter of fact, he didn't. We know that from his actions later when he does lose it. he gives them this little riddle. And by the way, uh, back to this, we see his sort of proudness in this as the way he poses it. And God resists the proud. Do You know that? I have to sometimes look in the mirror and say that because my pride has gotten the best of me. And I have to look and say, God resists the proud. And and I have to say, but he gives grace unto the humble. Humility. Humility. You try to talk about humility, but by the time you talk about it, then you've already ruined it, right? And, and it's, it's one of those things that's only evidenced, really. You can't just say, I'm humble. You have to show it, don't you? And, and that's the reality of Samson is anything but humble. He's strong. He's good looking. He can go down and pick whatever woman he wants. He does all of those things. And yet there's no indication that he has a heart soft to God. Still yet, the Lord wants us to be direct with our answers. Samson isn't very direct. He's always twisting things around and making people wonder. You know, Jesus said this. He says, but let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. You know what? When we get to the things of God and you preach the gospel to people or share the gospel, with people, just bring it forth simply doesn't mean you can't be creative and, and do things that um, will draw people to ask questions and those kind of things. I'm not talking about just so simple that um, you, you, but I, I would just say that it's sometimes the gospel is very simple. Don't complicate it, right? Christ died for your sins. He died for my sins, right? That's what the Bible tells us. He went to a cross taking my place. I should have died there, but he died instead. I'm guilty. He was not. He took my guilt, and it was placed on him. That's the message of the, of the death of Christ. That's why he did it, because the wages of sin is death. And then he was buried, and, and, and just like all of us will face the grave someday, if you live long enough, it's going to happen, right? I mean, live short enough, it's going to happen too. Death is a universal thing. Jesus died. He was buried. And then on the third day, he rose victorious over death and everything that death held, sin, all the, all the things. that. Think of that. Jesus rose from the dead. He died. He was buried. He rose from the dead. And if you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Saved from your sin. And he promises a place in eternity for you. When he says, I go to prepare a place for you, he's, he's inviting you to sit down with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We read of that in the book of Revelation, chapter 19. Uh, you read of that wonderful marriage supper and the beautiful bride adorned for her husband. Wow. All of those things we, we know about from Scripture. And I say because it's important. Samson confused everything. It seems like he always was coming up with something, making it difficult for people to understand. And uh, it, it isn't the way God wants us to live. I, I like King Josiah. In, um, he was a good king. <clears throat> and in Second Kings 22, it says, But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord... In this manner you shall speak to him thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard because your heart was tender. Josiah was a good king because he had a tender heart. That means he was tender to the things of the Lord. He didn't the opposite of that is a hard heart. It's easy to get a hard cynical heart in a world that's just filled with hardness, isn't it? Josiah was a good king because his heart was tender to the things of the Lord. And when he f- read the word of God, it-, it brought revival in his land and among his people. Oh, we need leaders like that, don't we? It says, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants. When Josiah read the word of God and he found out how, how, er- how errant they had become, how far they had gone from the Lord he he repents and he leads his nation into repentance and god took note of that do you think god would take note of that in america if we had leaders that would stand up and repent yeah and by the way it begins with us not not our leaders it begins here someone said the really the secret to revival is to get all alone and draw a circle on the floor and get down in the middle of that circle on your knees and say, Lord, revive everybody in this circle. It's a good start, isn't it? And it'll spill out from there. We go on. Samson makes a wager. Now, I would just put it in this way. There's no Bible verse, not one I can find. It says, thou shall not gamble, okay? Um, But there is a principle behind it. Uh gambling is, is not something that, um, the one rule of gambling is say the house always wins, because they do. Because when you gamble, somebody is always going to get more money. And there's very few successful gamblers out there. Most uh, will find themselves uh, in abject poverty, uh, or at least having flirted with that and not made anything out of it. And I say that because that isn't the way Christians ought to be living. We aren't looking for the get-rich-quick scheme or or thinking if I just go and take my 10% uh, that I might tithe, I'll spend it in lottery tickets, then someday I'm going to make it big, you know. Uh, That might happen. I don't know. But I I, I don't think the stats are actually statistically it is against you. That's why the state of Maine and all the other states that do that make money. And they make money. It's really a tax that people go and voluntarily pay. And the state makes a lot more money than people earn in winnings. Just so you know that, and that's why everybody at state level wants to do that. In per capita, in the state of Maine, from this is from 2018. I couldn't find stats for today, but per capita in the state of Maine, um, that means every single individual, if it was averaged out in the state of Maine, will spend two hundred six dollars and twenty four cents on lottery tickets just this this year. Every person in the state of Maine, averaged out. So you know, there's a lot that don't do that. And that means there's a lot more money that others do. In Massachusetts, it's per capita $765. Wow. North Dakota, $30. I don't know. Boring, huh? I don't know. In the U.S., it's estimated, just this is just in lottery sales. In the U.S. in 2018, dollars were spent at a state level and there's many states that don't report That's one, year. one year 76 billion dollars billion's a big number I know not if you're spending it in Washington it isn't but, but a billion your heart it takes 30 years for your heart to beat its billionth beat on average think about that imagine if that money was used for the Lord the furtherance of the gospel missionaries, whatever. I, I mean, I, I could say that, but we don't. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying, again, doesn't say thou shalt not gamble, but the principle is there that we, we are to be good stewards of the resources that we have. Uh, Mark Twain put it this way, there are two times in a man's life when he should not speculate, gamble, when he can afford it and when he can't. Yeah, and that's true. I, I think it's good. And Samson's a man that he would th- risk it all. And, and the outcome would often be out of favor. He didn't know when to stop and do that. And the Bible does tell us in principle that we aren't to just love money. Um, money's not evil in and of itself. It's a neutral thing. But it says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 1 Timothy 6.10. For which some have strayed from their faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That could be the case. And and the big thing is, is where's your heart? Not where your money is, but where's your heart? Because where your heart will be, your money will follow. Or your desire for money will follow also. Normally, I don't, on a Sunday morning, go in these little areas, but this is what the scripture covers as we go down through it. And I just say that because Samson had a problem in his life. He wanted to get rich. He wanted to have, you know, this these, these things in his life that um, would get him in trouble. And I mean proverbs 13 11 wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished but he who gathers by labor will increase there's nothing like good old-fashioned work <laughs> and many can get ahead very well by that um, we better move on here a little bit further and we know it says but it came to pass on the, on the seventh day that they said to samson's wife now they can't solve this you know go to his wife his new wife entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us or else we will burn you in your father's house with fire have you invited us in order to take what is ours is that not so and then samson's wife wept on him and said you only hate me you know there's this dialogue i won't read the rest there but you have um samson and his new wife and And for seven days, she's crying. Now, think of that. If you get married, um, I hope hope your wife didn't, like, cry for the next seven days. Maybe it did. I don't know. Don't tell me if she did. But anyways, no. Hopefully it was some joy. Samson's in this relationship that he shouldn't have been in in the first place, and it hasn't brought much joy. And his wife is crying and crying. And the reason is because these guys have threatened her. You see, you don't realize what happens when you make deals like that. Sometimes the bad guys show up and they show up with the people that you're supposed to love. I don't think there was ever any love in this marriage. It was just a, a marriage of convenience in this way. And I got to erase that. Sorry about that. Talk with my hands and I put things up on the screen there. Um, but anyways, uh, we, we have this and he explains and she continues to go back and eventually he, he says, let me tell you what it's about. And that riddle dealt with the fact the eater was a lion and it, something sweet came out of the eater that was the honey from the previous section of scripture, right? That we know that account. No one knew about that, not even Samson's parents. But now his wife knows. And she goes and tells her people. All those, you know, those 30 that came by invitation and all of that and i would just say this that um what you have there is is this idea of uh um you know the the wager i guess fell on the wrong number in that way and samson's number is up and he realizes now he has to be honor what he said and come up with 30 um, garments and to do that And that leads us to this last part. And by the way, there's a lot more that could be said about that in the sense that um, (laughs) when you get into a relationship, men and women, but I would say this, it's easy to manipulate somebody. And that happens. The scripture often talks about this very instance of things like that, manipulation that goes on. Solomon, who, by the way, his heart was turned from God because he had so many women in his life. Um... He writes in Proverbs 27, verse 15 a continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Uh oh. I know I'm going to get in trouble with these, but this is what the Bible says, just so you know. But I like this one this justification for hunting. Better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. So if your husband's doing a lot of hunting, maybe check your own self. I just say that but, but, uh, in that. But in, in seriousness, there is reality that often someone in a relationship, husbands and wives, can manipulate the other into doing things they don't want to do. And Samson just gave up after seven days, and that was it. And it would cost him and the lives of men um, in doing so. And we we find that. And we go to this last point, an outburst of anger. And we, we have in these last two things, that this is what takes place. Now, God is going to use Samson's anger... To stir up the Philistines so that eventually they would come after him again, you know, revenge, and he would kill more of them. And remember, this is a way God was going to allow a deliverance, and yet I don't want to exclude the fact that Samson didn't do it necessarily in a right way, but God still used it. And I, I don't sit there and say that we should do that, go out and do things in a wrong way. But it shows the, the grace and mercy of God that he's able to still use us when we aren't following him wholeheartedly. Now, in this case, it does say that the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. And part of that uh, ministry of the spirit of God on him was, gave him strength. And he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men. He was going to exact his payment somehow. And so he goes down, he kills 30 men. He took their apparel, gave their change of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. And so his anger was aroused and he went back up to his father's house. And it says, and Samson's wife was given. um, Did I jump ahead too far? No, I, I didn't read far enough back. Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. And You know, what you have here in the previous section there, and I I left the verse out, but you have right here in verse 18. um, So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. He calls his wife a heifer. I don't think that would go over well in any context, just so you know that. Men do not try that. I'm just saying... But I will say the, what he says, in, in essence, is you've used my wife as nothing more than a dumb animal. They were doing something. And it shows his respect for his wife, too. He didn't have much respect for her. So much so that when he goes down and kills 30 men, that they decide the father of the bride says, I'm not having her stay with Samson. And he gives her away to another man. The marriage fails. And it was destined to fail. And a lot more that we could argue about that whole thing. did God get him out of a bad situation you know that he got himself into, and did God use it in spite of him? I would just say yes, um, but also there are consequences to every decision that we make. Sometimes they cannot be undone. The killing of thirty men it couldn't be undone, but yet it was also going to be something that God would use to deliver his people in that. And I will say that when you come to the New Testament. Christ has us in a higher call. We are to do good to those who revile us and persecute us and say all kinds of evil against us falsely, right? He's told us to do that. Um, We're to even love our enemies. Oh, that's hard. And they aren't necessarily people from a foreign land. Sometimes your enemy could be somebody that's right in your own household. Beware of that, you know? We're to love them. And that's the answer that comes back from that. And why? Because Paul puts it this way. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see, part about living for Christ, first and foremost, in our relationships, in our private lives, in our dealings with finances, our actions, the way we deal with others, all of that is because we're ambassadors of Christ. We represent Him. If somebody came to you today and said, I want to see Christ in your life, or, you know, how is that displayed? I guess that would be the, the better question. What do you have in your life that shows you're an ambassador for Christ? I hope you are His. Do you belong to Him? Because He wants you to. He wants all of us to belong to Him in that way. And he's the only one that's good. He's the only good master. And I would invite you as well, by faith, trust the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation. Trust him in your Christian walk. Trust him for eternity. Let's stand and be dismissed this morning. And before we sing this song, let's have a word of prayer. God, we come before you pleading, O oh God, for reconciliation for others, Lord, to be reconciled to you, first and foremost. For, for your own to be reconciled, Lord, as well. And we are grateful for the testimony here that is recorded in Scripture of how you can do mighty things in spite of who we are and what we've done. And God, you will get the glory in the end. Help us to be part of that in a good way, in an obedient way, and live holy because you're holy. In Jesus' name, amen.